Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Before I jump into what I'm going to share with you this morning, I just want to tell you about a husband and wife that were, they were in bed having an argument, and their argument was about who was supposed to get up and make the coffee, and neither one of them wanted to get it. It was cold, and neither one wanted to get out of bed and go make the coffee, and finally the wife says, well, the Bible says the man's supposed to make the coffee. He's like, where do you see that? She says, right here it says Hebrews. Pretty corny. Yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, thank you for that word, Sarah. It was out of Habakkuk? No. Ezra. Ezra. About the foundation. Because what I want to share with you is a, I would say, a major foundation for your Christian life. Um, it is important. I was a, a builder. I was a home builder. I built spec homes. I homes and sold them and so on. And uh, before I was a builder, I had a framing crew, the people that put build the wood part of the house. And the thing that you discovered when you were framing is that if the foundation was off, it threw everything else off in the house. And, you know, uh, when you, most of you, if you've ever gone to buy a house or you've gone with a real estate agent, uh, probably pretty rare that they would come over and say, Look at this foundation. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> they don't even mention the foundation. But everything in the house, uh, you know, if, when the foundation is off, you know, have you ever had a house where the doors seem to swing open just by themselves? I don't get what's going on here. I'll tell you why. It's because the foundation is off. And so when the foundation is not correct, it throws everything else off in the house. So the most important thing to make sure you build uh, on is to build the foundation. Of course, Jesus, we sang, you are my sure foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation. But there are foundation pieces that we need to make sure that we build into our Christian life. Um, you know, here we are, Southern California. You know, we, we see these earthquakes happening, not Praise God, we haven't had any big ones here recently. Uh, but, uh, you know, around the world, like in Turkey, you hear they have all these, they have this earthquake and thousands of people are killed and destroyed uh, over in, um, uh, where is it? No, right off the coast of Florida. Haiti, yeah, Haiti. I was in Haiti after the earthquake they had there and thousands of people were just, were killed through that. Why? Because... When the builders built, they didn't do a good foundation. And so that's one of the things we work at here in California is that we want to make sure that we build a foundation that can stand the shaking long term. And so what I'm going to share with you this morning is a piece that you need to have in your foundation solidly. And uh, I call it God's treasure. Now, I know I gave out these bracelets last week. How many of you got a bracelet? How many of you actually gave your bracelet away? Anybody give it away? All right, awesome. You can pick up some more. I think there's some in the back there. Uh, if not, I'll bring some more in. The whole idea is to use this bracelet as an opportunity to share Jesus with people. It says on one side, it says, I am God's treasure. The other side says, because of Jesus. And so, of course, the reason you're God's treasure is because God paid the highest price for you. He gave his own son for you. But there's another treasure, which is called God's treasure in the Bible. And um, I want to I talk about it, but let me just give you some of the things that are in this treasure. How many of you, do you have any treasure hunters here? Any treasure hunters, okay? A couple of people here. But is, is it like you go all these stores and try to find a treasure or something like that? Oh, okay. When I was looking for the girl that I was supposed to marry, I was at Santa Cruz, and I, and, and I was walking along, and I found a ring in the sand. And I thought, whoever fits this ring, that's the girl I'm going to marry. 
The problem was a common size ring. There was a lot of girls that fit. But anyhow, uh, so my, my dad was kind of a treasure hunter. Uh, vacation, you know, was uh, going to gold country and panning for gold. And like, you know, when you're a little kid, it's like, nah, that's not, that doesn't sound like a, like a lot of fun, you know. Or his other thing that he liked to hunt for is rocks, just rocks of any kind. It was really embarrassing because, uh, we, you know, back we, we had a, I think we had a 54 Chevy four-door power glide, uh, you know, with a, it was yellow with a green top, really a cool car. Had this wonderful thing called vinyl seats that was a brand new thing, okay, that was a big deal. Anyhow, my dad would like to go on a Saturday and we'd drive around all the hills of Gilroy and all those areas looking for rocks. And he would load the trunk with rocks until the car was tilted like this. And me and my brother, I have two, two brothers, but my youngest wasn't born yet. Me and my brother, we were dying, man. We would get down in the back seat. We didn't want anybody to see us driving along with a trunk full of rocks, you know. I mean, that was weird. And then my dad, once he got all these rocks, he decided he wanted to have a rock garden, okay, a rock garden. Now, my, da my dad's idea of a rock garden was different than other people. He wanted it in the front yard. So we had this big front yard on a main street in San Jose that people walked by all the time, including all my, you know, junior high friends and <laughs> would walk by there. And so my dad decides to build his rock garden in the front yard. The only thing is that he made it look like a big grave. It was Goliath's grave. So I have this thing that looks like a grave in the front yard. Of course, my friends all want to, you know, hey, what's who's buried there? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> Not me, but somebody's buried there, I'm pretty sure. And uh, it was just real embarrassing. So anyhow, my dad liked treasure. So you know, every one of us should be a treasure hunter, okay? We should be hunting for treasure, and especially the treasure that I want to talk about. Let me tell you what's included in this treasure. I'm going to fire off a lot of things real quick here and simply give you the scripture reference. If you would like to have these notes following the service for $1,000, I'm just kidding. I'll give you a discount. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you'll see my email on the screen. If you want to write down my email, I will email you a copy of the notes so you can study these yourself. Here are some of the things that are included in this treasure. Uh, this treasure will make you clean. That's a good thing. Psalms 19 says that. This treasure is good for, for your good. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God's goodness is stored up for those who have this treasure. That's in Psalms 31. Those who have this treasure are blessed. Several Psalms say that. Uh, God's eye, here's a cool one. God's eye is on those who have this treasure. Uh, here's another one. Psalms 34 says, God's salvation is near to those, excuse me, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who have this. How many of you like to have the angel of the Lord encamping around you? That would be kind of cool, huh? God's salvation is near to those who have this treasure. In Psalms 85, uh, it says, um, hang on here. My thing's going weird. All right. Psalms 85, it, God fulfills the desire of those who have this treasure. Uh, things will be well for those who have this treasure, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. God's mercy is on those who have this treasure, according to Luke chapter 1. God will guide those who have this treasure into prosperity and their descendants will inherit the earth. That's pretty cool. Uh, here's another one. Uh, it says that it, God's secret is with those who have this treasure in Psalms 25. God is a shield to help those who have this treasure, Psalms 115. Healing comes to those who have this treasure, according to Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. Those who have this treasure will have no lack, according to Psalms 34. Those who have this treasure will have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, according to Psalms 111. Here's a good one. Those who have this treasure will turn away from the snares of death. That's in Proverbs 14. Uh, those who have this treasure will be content, according to Proverbs 15. Those who have this treasure will have a long life, 
according to Proverbs 10, verse 27. Those who have this treasure will live a satisfied life and not be visited with evil, according to Proverbs 19. Those who have this treasure will have riches, honor, and life, according to Proverbs 22. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, the church that has this treasure will multiply. So Pam talked about multiplication. How do we multiply? If you have this treasure, an authentic church, the church will multiply. So the question then is, how many of you want to know what the treasure is? Same three people as earlier. Okay. So what is this treasure? Okay, let's put it on the screen here. Isaiah 33 and verse 6 says, Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. Here it is. Notice what it says. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much that you want to bless us so much. You want to bless us more than we want to be blessed. You are for us more than we realize how much you're for us. Lord, you want us to have a blessed life, a long life, a fulfilled life. And so, Lord, I pray today as we lay this foundation, as we begin to build this foundation into our lives, I ask you to help us and speak to us and write the word on our heart and help us to apply it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Now, here's an interesting fact. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. It tells us that in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This, listen, this is talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, notice this, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. So Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. You know, when we hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, I mean, it's like, oh, I don't like that verse. You know, give me another verse, you know. <laughs> fear of the Lord sounds scary. And, uh, but Jesus wouldn't delight in something that's scary. Are you all with me? It must be a good thing if Jesus delighted in it. And so uh, I'm going to talk about uh, what is not the fear of the Lord and then what is the fear of the Lord. Before I go there, how many of you think there's trouble in America? Anybody kind of got the idea? We got issues. I mean, just a couple days ago in New York, a uh, YouTube influencer made an announcement he was going to do a giveaway somewhere in New York City. A thousand or more kids showed up there and just started, I mean, just all kinds of people got hurt. Police came in. They were pelting the police with all, everything you could imagine. They were trying to, they, were, they had to bring buses in to, for all the kids they were trying to arrest. They could not control them in any way. What is going on in America? What's going on? You know, is it the Democrats? Is it the, you know, is it the Republicans? Is it the liberals versus the conservatives? What in the world is going on? Why does it seem like, and you may not realize it, I've lived long enough now. I've you know, I'm, I'm 75 years old this year, and um, so I've lived long enough to watch America change very rapidly over the last 70 years, over, I'll say over my awareness of over the last 50-something years. And then in the last few years, it's like we're doing a straight, you know, when you're on an airplane, it kind of drops. That kind of makes you nervous. But when it's nose diving and at a high speed going down, that really has your attention, right? While it's going down. Well, that's where America is today. And we want to figure out what in the world is the problem. What is causing all this? Is it demons? Uh, you know, what is it? Yes, it is demons, okay? But what is it really? I'll tell you what it is. America has lost the fear of God. We have lost the fear of the Lord. I remember when, even when I was in business, when I was in my 20s, uh, you know, I'm, I'm this Christian. If I had, I had guys around me that weren't Christian, were Christians, and we were working together, and one of them cussed, 
they would stop without me. I didn't do anything. I'm just there. They would stop and they said, oh, I'm sorry, man. I apologize. I never should have talked like that. So even though they weren't Christians, they had a sense of the fear of the Lord. There was, you know, like, this guy's a Christian. We're not supposed to cuss around him. But nowadays, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, and, And so what is missing in America is the fear of the Lord. Now, last November, I had God speak two things to me about 2023. I'm just going to tell you one of them. And so he, he said to me last November, he said, in 2023, I'm going to begin to, to restore the fear of God in America. I'm going to begin to restore the fear of the Lord. So I'm like, how in the world is that going to happen? I don't know. And then a movie comes out, The Sound of Freedom. And all of a sudden, people who were unaware, seemingly, or didn't care about the fact that we're, you know, selling our children for parts and all these kind of things, it pricked the conscience of America. It's beginning like, wait a minute, they may not know what's happening, but God is beginning to bring the fear of God back into America. Why? Because that's what brought the blessing of God on America in the first place. The founders of our nation, even those who are non-believers, had a fear of God. And so we must, as the church, if we're going to have a long-term Christian life, like, oh, how how do I stay with Jesus? How do I keep walking with Jesus? How do I not get off track? How do I, you know, not just keep falling down over and over and having to get saved all over again and do all this? I'll tell you what, you have a healthy fear of God in your life, and that will keep you on track throughout your Christian life. That's a secret to the key of longevity in walking with the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. So then we must ask the question, and that is, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, let me tell you what it's not. First off, it's not natural fear. Now, by the way, not all natural fear is negative. How many of you understand that? Some natural fears are good. Like, you know, I have a fear of falling off a cliff. Well, you're not going to stand real close to the edge of the cliff, right? It's going to keep you from, you know, I have a fear of running across the freeway and getting hit by a car. (laughs) That's a good fear. That's a protective fear. So not all natural fears are bad. Some fears are good. Uh, Another thing it's not, it's not demonic fear. There is the spirit of fear. There is a evil spirit of fear that can come on your life and can make you, that's why you see these people who have these conditions, and you can speak to it more than I could, but um, who have these conditions where they can't leave their house. How many remember What About Bob, right? Anybody watch that movie? (laughs) One of my favorite movies. Bob had this condition, he couldn't leave his house because he's afraid he's going to get a disease if he walks out the door. He had to open the door with the handkerchief and all that, and he was completely isolated. What happened to him? A spirit of fear got in his life, was locking him down. It's not religious fear. That's another kind of fear. Religious fear, and by the way, Christianity is not a religion. Let me just clearly state that. You know, people say, well, Christianity is one of the religions of the world. Not true Christianity. What is religion? Religion is you doing enough good things so you can maybe earn your way into heaven. Christianity is you could never do enough good things to earn your way into heaven. So Jesus came, paid the price, took the punishment for you so you can have forgiveness of sin, be cleansed by the blood, and become a child of God by the power of the gospel. And so, but religious, if you, when you get around people that are really in a religion, it's how religion is run by fear. You know, if you, if you leave us, you're going to die, <laughs> you know, you know, you're going to, you're going to go right into hell immediately as soon as you, you deal, whatever. So it keeps you that way. And then the other thing it's not, it's not the fear of man. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said this, he says, don't fear men who can kill your body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So when you have the fear of God, guess what? You won't fear men. Why don't we share the gospel? Because we fear people and not God. When you fear God, you don't, you don't care what other people think about you. Are you all there? I mean, you care. You want, you, you know, you want them to think nice about you, but it's not a life-giving thing for you. 
Those who think it's not. So the Bible says, 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, all right? So then what is, and I want to just kind of go through this pretty quickly, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's several things, and I want to just highlight them to you. And again, you can get these notes, and you can, uh, again, thousand, I'm just kidding, no, it's not a thousand dollars. You can just email me, and I'll send them to you. All right, the fear of the Lord, here's the first one. The fear of the Lord is a holy awe and reverence for who God is. It means to have Jesus alone on the throne of your life. The fear of the Lord is also an understanding that God has the final say in all matters pertaining to this life. Now, I don't care who we think is winning in the political realm or in the cultural realm or whatever, can I just tell you God's going to have the final word on everything. Amen. If not in this life, when we get to the next life. By the way, we're all going to be standing there individually, not collectively. You can't say, all my liberal friends say, <laughs> it's not going to work before God, or my, all my conservative friends. And so here it is. So God is going to have the final say. Now, Isaiah, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah, it says, the king, the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord. So he has this encounter with God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, which are a certain kind of angel, stood above him having six wings. Now notice what they did with their wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, uh, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. Why did they cover their face? Because God's holiness is overwhelming. God's, they couldn't even look at the holiness of God. And it says they were saying, holy, holy, holy. Listen, when God shows up, and I, I think this is supposed to be a presence-driven church, right? Is that the idea? Okay. Can I just tell you, number one thing that will get the presence in this church is the fear of the Lord. God's going to go where he is respected. God's going to go. You know, I remember when, when, before we moved to California, which we did in 2006, I grew up in California, went away for 39 years, and came back to California one year before Moses showed up. And, um, uh, and so we moved back to California, got sent down here from a church in Seattle, from which uh, Jeff and Fawn were there, and she was an intern in our intern program there. Well, at that church, we were required to wear the pastors. We were required to wear suits, nice suits, okay? We had to wear these suits because we all, there's 22 pastors at this church, 6,000 member church. We all had to sit through three services on Sunday morning. We all had to wear suits. Now, why in the world were we wearing suits? Was that just some kind of religious thing? No. We wore suits out of respect for God. Are you all there? It can be a religious thing, but I'm just saying that the reason that we, we were wanting to honor God in every aspect of our life. And then I came to California. And the first two Sundays, I wore a tie. And I looked at the crowd. And it's like, some people were like in pajamas. <laughs> Flip-flop, shorts, shorts. <laughs> and I, I just started off by saying, um, uh, you know, did you think about what you were going to wear this morning? <laughs> Obviously not. So after two weeks, I had to lose the tie. I was probably the only pastor in California that was wearing a tie next to some people you know but down here in L.A. Anyhow, uh, and it's, but the, but why why were we doing that? Why were we going to do it? Because we wanted to be our best. Be, we were meeting with the people of God and in the house of God. I'm not saying you should all come with ties next week, especially you ladies. But 
That was the reasoning behind it. So he has this encounter, holy, holy, holy. These, these uh, angels are crying out. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Can I just tell you, we say, oh God, send the glory. When his glory comes, there's only one thing gonna be happening. We're gonna be on our faces saying, holy, holy, holy is God. Because we cannot stand in the presence of the Lord. We cannot hold our head up and our pride up and our arrogance and think we're so spiritual when God shows up. Holy, 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 it says, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out in the temple, and the temple was filling with smoke. That's where they got the idea, holy smoke. Just kidding, that was a joke. Then I said, then I said, woe is me. This is now... He encounters God. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In our Exodus chapter 20, there on the screen, one of the God's instructions to Moses are, you shall have no other gods before me. So the first one is the fear of the Lord is a holy awe and reverence for who God is. It means to have Jesus on the throne of your life. The fear of the Lord is to be an understanding that God has the final say in all matters pertaining to this life. All right, number two. The second thing that the fear of the Lord is, it's to have the spirit of the fear of the Lord resting on your life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So he's talking about the same fear that Isaiah was experiencing. We should work out our salvation. So we're safe. Here it is. You and I, when we're born again, our spirit man is made perfect. You are, your spirit man is perfectly holy, perfectly right before God, perfectly justified, so on. But we have a problem. We have a soul and we have a body that's not holy. <laughs> and so he says, the way you work it from the inside out is through the fear of God. Work out, he's not saying you have to work for your salvation. He's saying work out the salvation that's in you to the outside of your life by fear and trembling. Here's the third thing. The third thing the fear of the Lord is, is an awareness of the consequences of our thoughts, words, choices, and actions based on God's word and an understanding that God means what he says. Now, here's the thing. How many of you found people that don't mean what they say? <laughs> don't point at anybody, okay? <laughs> Unless you're looking in the mirror. Anyhow... <clears throat> Here's a, here's a word to parents, okay, if you're a parent. So we're raising our kids. You want to teach them. This is one of the things I'll point out here coming up. You want to teach your children the fear of the Lord and, and that God means what he says. So you as a parent need to think through what you're going to ask your children to do or not do before you say it because you better follow up on whatever you say. So if you say, you know, Johnny, if you don't clean your room, then you're not getting any dinner tonight. And then Johnny doesn't clean his room, and he still gets dinner. You know what you just did? You lied to your ch child. You told them that your word doesn't mean anything. So if we live like that, you know, we want our kids just, to, well, we want them to be free. That's not freedom. If we don't keep our word, and that's why you should think about, before you go putting demands on your child, you want to think about, am I going to stand for this? In other words, am I going to, you know, put up or shut up, we used to say. Am I going to back up what I said with an action? If you do this, then this is what's going to happen. Or if you do this, you get this blessing on your life. The same thing. You know, if you're, you know, if you do good things, we're going to go to Disneyland this week. Well, you better be taking them to Disneyland because you just made a promise to them. What are you teaching them? You're teaching about God. And the, here, here's the thing, folks. God actually means what he says. It's not like, you know, God, God's not a multiple choice God. 
It's a true or false, period. It's either right or wrong. And so when God says something, he means it. And that's how we need to, one of the ways we fear God is we tremble, the Bible says, at his word. Why? Because God means what he says. And uh, so we have a, here it is, the fear of the Lord is an awareness of the consequences of our thoughts, words, choices, and actions based on God's word and understanding that God means whatever he says. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, right? Do not be deceived. By the way, when you see the words, do not be deceived, what do you want to think about? I don't want to be deceived. Anybody's like, I'm signing up for deception. We can have a class on deception this week. I want to sign up on how to be deceived. Nobody wants to be deceived, I hope. You want to be deceived. So when I look at this and like, do not be deceived, I want to read the next words. I want to know, okay, do not be deceived. How am I going to be deceived? I don't want to be deceived. Here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever. Everybody say whatever. Now, this is different than here a few years back when we used to always say, whatever. This is not that whatever. <laughs> Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. For he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then in Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he will do it. Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? So there's two sides of that. There's the negative side. If we want to break God's word, don't. You can't break God's word. God's word will break you. There's the positive side. If you do what God says, all the promises of God that he says goes along with what your obedience to his word are yours, guaranteed from God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. Here's number four, the fourth thing. The fear of the Lord is an understanding that, let me look here, is an understanding that God's ways are far better than our ways and that our ways to lead to death, but his ways lead to life. It is to live your life in the light of eternity instead of the short time that you are here on the earth. Now, Here's one of the things that really is helpful. What, number one, when you figure out that God really loves you, he really, really loves you. He loves you more than you love you. He loves you more than any human being. I remember I was driving in Missouri. We used to pastor in Missouri, and I was driving in a van uh, on this highway, and all of a sudden, Jesus' face appears outside the, in front of me while I'm driving. I just about went off the road. His face appears in the window outside of me as I'm driving, and, he, and I've had very few, I've had encounters, but very few like that. And he says to me, I love you more deeply and passionately than any human can ever love you. And then it disappeared. And I'm like, whoa. Trying to make a point. So, number one, God loves you. Number two, He's for you, He's not against you. God's not against you. He's for you, okay? And so, but then he says this, for in Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in other words, Father knows best. That's right, some of you are old enough to remember that. <laughs> it's a TV show, guys. Father knows best. He knows best for you. God knows best. In other words, if he's saying to you certain things, it's because he loves you, he's for you, and he wants the best for you. Any good father wants the best for their children. You want them to win. You want them to be healthy. You want them to grow up, you know, and have good relationships and a good experience in life and accomplish God's purpose. You want the best. In fact, if you say I love you to somebody, it's because you want the best for them. Not because you want what you want from them. Okay, that's a whole other message. All right. Here's another thing. It means to live your life in light of eternity. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I turned 75 this year. When you uh, hit like around 75, you start realizing, whoops, eternity is a whole lot closer than it was before. 
<laughs> right? And you start seriously thinking about, you know, I remember a joke by a comedian who said, talked about how the grandmother was always giving candy to the kids, and he said to the, to the grandkids, he said to the grandkids, he says, it's just an old lady trying to earn her way back into heaven. That's what that was all about. And so, uh, when you realize, you realize life is short. In fact, the Bible calls life a vapor. When you're young, a day seems like forever, right? When you're young, it's like, I got to wait a whole day? Oh, my gosh, you know? And uh, I remember when I was a kid, some people were supposed to take me to a movie, pick me up. We used to have movies for 25 cents at the movie show, right? Uh, and his family was going to pick me up, and they were 30 minutes late. I died a thousand deaths. <laughs> I did. I got, I, that was the beginning of a rejection thing that grew into literally terrible. I'm talking about Nate. I know you're laughing, but they forgot me. And I'm standing at the window of my house. They forgot me. It was only 30 minutes, but it was a lifetime for me. So when you're young, it seems like it's, you know, then when all of a sudden you hit 30, it's like, time's kind of going a little bit fast. Then you hit 40, and it's like, something's speeding up here. And then you hit 50 and 60, and like, you know, you're like God. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, right? <laughs> so like, you know, at my age, it's like, what happened to 2020 and 2022? I mean, we're already in 2023. I mean, I just blinked and Christmas was already over again. <laughs> and so we are, so, but, so you're, to live in the fear of the Lord is to live in light or in with eternity in mind. How many of you have ever thought about eternity? How many of you think it's probably a long time? Right? Compared to 60, 70, 80, 90 years now, we're living into our 90s, you know, compared to that, eternity is, you know, it's, you know, it's just a, our, our life in that, it's just a dot, it's just a, and it was over. But hey, you think about this, how you live that dot determines how you're living the eternity. Now, well, wait a minute, I thought you said I could go to heaven if I just believe in Jesus. Yes, you can. But what you're going to be doing in heaven is going to be determined by what you did here now. You're actually earning rewards. The Bible actually says this. It says you and I are going to go through a fire. Wait a minute, I thought I was going to beat the fire. No, Christians are going to go through a fire. What is the fire? It says when we die, we're going to pass through a fire, and the works that we did in our, ourselves are going to be burnt up. But the works that God does through us are going to make it through, and we're going to get rewards. And we are going to stand before the what the Bible calls the Bema seat of Christ, which is the reward seat. So that's the fear of the Lord. All right, number five. I've got to keep going here. Number five, the fear of the Lord is an understanding that we were created for God and for his purpose accompanied with a strong desire to do what is pleasing to him and glorify him through our life. And understanding that we were created for God. So we, if, you are, if you have a wrong concept of Christianity, you think God was created for you. I got news for you. He wasn't created for you. You were created for him. It tells us in Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created. And then it says, all things have been created through him and for him. So you and I were created for God. God wasn't created for us. Fear of the Lord is to understand that. And also, it's a desire to please him. Number six, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance and the evil way. Here's a prayer that I've been praying. The, the prayer is this. God, help me to love what you love and to hate what you hate. Help me love what you love. God loves people. Hate what you hate. God hates sin because sin destroys people. God hates the devil. So God, help me to love what you love and to hate what you hate. So here it tells us, Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, 
and the evil way. So there's something we, we need to, I think we become in America indifferent to evil. We tolerate it. We think tolerance is a good thing. Not if you tolerate evil, it's not. Tolerance is, is the opposite of the fear of the Lord, which is moving us into the destruction of this nation. Here's another one, 1 Peter 1.17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time of stay here. Notice what he says, in fear. He's talking about the fear of God. Here's the last one. Number seven. The fear of the Lord is an awareness that heaven and hell are real. I think, again, one of the reasons we don't evangelize in the church in America like we should is because we don't really believe strongly in heaven and hell. We don't believe that if you believe in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. If you reject salvation, his salvation, you're going to be condemned to hell. The Bible tells us that. So it's an awareness that heaven and hell are real and that people are destined to go to one or the other based on their response to the good news of Jesus' salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.11, I think I highlighted it last week, and says, therefore, knowing, now here's Paul. Paul is going out being beaten from city to city. One time he was stoned to death. He was beaten with lashes that ripped his back apart. Five times he was beaten with rods. He was, you know, chased out of towns. He was adrift in the sea. Why would anybody put up with all that? Why would somebody continue to go out and preach the gospel having been beaten up that many times? Here's why. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. It's on the screen, right? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So he's talking about, I know the fear of God. I know that heaven is real. Hell is real. I don't want any of my countrymen to go to hell. I don't want anyone I come in contact to go to hell. So I'm going to share Jesus with them. All right, finally, closing here. How do we respond? So I give you four things here of how do you respond to what I'm saying today. Number one, understand that the fear of the Lord is something that we must choose. So the fear of the Lord is a choice. In Proverbs chapter one, it says this. It says, they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel, but it says they spurned all my reproof. Then it says this, sad words. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. The worst thing that can happen to a person is for God to let them go their own way. Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So man, you know, I, I saw, they just recently put an article out. Uh, I don't know if it came out on New York, or I don't remember where you got that about. They're saying for parents to leave their children alone and not disturb them, you know, not bother them. Just let them go in their room. Don't spend, you know, don't try to have fun with your, they're telling you, they're like, this is, we're giving you instructions on how to raise good kids. Leave them alone. Don't play with them. Don't do anything. Let them do their own thing. Well, the Proverbs says, a young man left to himself will, will offend his mother. <laughs> How many figured out if you leave children by themselves, they're not going to, you know, something's going to go wrong <laughs> in the process. And so the fear of the Lord is something we must choose. We must choose the fear of the Lord. Number two, the fear of the Lord is something we learn. Psalms 34, 11 says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Uh, it also, in De Deuteronomy 4, 10, it tells us, it says, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they are on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Let me just say, one of the greatest things besides teaching your children that God loves them is to teach them the fear of the Lord. Number three, it's like, I don't know if I'm hearing you or not. It's like, I'm not ever coming to this church ever again. It's like, are they going to tell me this stuff? Yes, we are. 
Come on. How many of you like, you know, would, how many of you, you know, if you need a slap in the face, slap me down. Don't wait, you know, don't not. I don't want to find out at the end that I missed a major piece of what God wanted to do for me to live. You know, confront me now, not later. Don't let me keep going my own way and walking without the fear of God in my life. Somebody tell me the truth. You know what young people want to hear? They want to hear the truth. Why are they dropping out of church? Because people are telling them stories. They're not telling them the truth. And we need to get back to the truth and share the word of God, the whole word. Paul, at the end of his life, he says, I did not uh, you know, fail to give you the whole counsel of God. You know, sometimes we can camp on one scripture. Let's just talk about the love of God. That's a good thing. But there are other scriptures in the Bible. We need to hear the whole word of God, not just one aspect of the word of God. Are y'all there? And so they only bring me in when you need a spanking. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. You don't need a spanking. I'm just kidding. So number three. Number three, we must grow to delight ourselves in the fear of the Lord, just like Jesus did, right? Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, the last part says, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. When you say, I want to know more about God. Enter into the fear of the Lord. Number four, we must share the gospel with the lost, knowing that without faith in Jesus' salvation, they are destined to an eternity in hell. Let's all stand. I want to just close because I want us to give a response. So God says to me last November, in 2023, I'm going to begin to restore the fear of God in America. How many of you think that America can use some fear of the Lord? Anybody have a sense of that? We really do. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the good news that God loves us. But we need to have the fear of God come because the fear of God will keep you from evil. There's times when the love of God, even though God loves you, there's still stuff that you're tempted into. And, you know, if you stop and think, you're like, no, I don't think so. You look, in other words, you, you're getting ready to step into some sin or some area that, of disobedience. But if you stop and you think about it and you look on the other side of it, you know, we have so many pastors in America that have fallen away from God, major leaders that have fallen from the Lord. You know, if they would have just stopped and thought about what was gonna, what's going to be the repercussion of this on thousands of people? What, what, how's this going to affect the people that I've been entrusted with to be called pastor of? If they would have stopped and counted the cost, then the fear of God would have come on us and yeah, that, no way. I can't do that. The fear of God will keep you when nothing else will keep you from falling into things that are self-destructive. So let me pray for us, and I want to pray. And let, Would you join with me, and let's make this not just a one-time prayer on a Sunday morning. Why don't we begin to pray, God, restore the fear of you in my life, in our church, in my family, in California. Governor Newsom, oh, sorry, <laughs> and this nation. The nation needs a return to the fear of God. So let's pray together. Father, we come this morning, and Lord, we just say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Help me, Lord, to grow and to delight in the fear of the Lord. Help me to hate evil and love what's good. Help me to hate what you hate and love what you love. Help me, Lord, to develop and to learn and to choose the fear of the Lord in my life, in my family, and in this church. We pray over Orange County. Well, I believe it, Orange County has probably the biggest potential of bringing about revival in California. So Lord, we pray that the fear of God would come upon Orange County, every church, every believer, right now in the name of Jesus, that the pastors would teach their people the fear of God. Not in a negative, but it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. 
God, I pray that over this region that then it begins to spread to the south down into L.A. and into the north up into San Francisco and the northern cities. God, I pray that the fear of God would come upon California. Let it be a, a trendsetter. We are into the fear of God. We believe in the fear of God. It's not just a fad. It's a necessity to us. God, I pray that. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray that. I think there's a movie coming out called The Church is Relevant or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what, the fear of the Lord is relevant. So, Lord, now we pray for our nation and our nation's leaders right now in Jesus' name. They don't realize where they're going. You look down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're self-destructing and don't even know it. God, we pray over our government now, over our leaders in every city, in every state, in every school, Father. What's going on in the schools? There's no fear of God. We pray, Father, for the fear of the Lord to come upon our nation and our nation's leaders in Jesus' name. They would have have encounters like Isaiah. I saw the Lord and I fell down and I said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. God, have mercy on us. We have neglected you. And Lord, we want to invite you back into this nation. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never really made Jesus the Lord of your life, because the fear of the Lord is to have Jesus be on the throne of your life. If that's you here this morning, you say, I just want to make a commitment to Jesus. I just want Jesus. I want all Jesus and none of me. That's me. I want you to just raise your hand real high. Just say, that's me. I just want to make, maybe it's a fresh commitment. Yes, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me. Yes, God bless you. Father, I just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, you weren't created for me. I was created for you. I put my life into your hands. I release control of my life and ask you to be the king of my life. And I choose the fear of God. And I choose to learn the fear of the Lord. Thank you for loving me, that you are forgiving me now. I ask you to come into my life fresh and new in Jesus' name. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.